Hi, this is Jonathan, and I play the human wizard, Jonathan the Magimuscular. Hi, I'm Jack. I play Trevancore, a half-elf Beastmaster Ranger. Hi, this is John. I play your half-orc barbarian, Carlton Tanks. Hi, this is Julia. I play the rock gnome cleric, Bernice Q. Burns. And I am Lauren, a.k.a. Obocrazy, your humble DM, and welcome to Dungeon Drunks. Distinguished adventurers, last time on Dungeon Drunks, a deal is made. With the blue dragon Thontorvrak, our heroes will be given time to return the instrument of the bards to the Amethyst Acropolis and then finish a mission for Travancore. But once those tasks are complete, they promise to contact him again so he can send them on a mission of his own. So now they're back in Waterdeep completing final preparations for their next journey. And that is where we begin tonight. Welcome to Dungeon Drunks. I'm your DM, Lauren. You might know me as Obo Crazy. I have more Jack and Coke and a giant cup. Ah! This is D&D game one of two for me tonight. One that I DM, the other that I play. And so I get to have a nice big cup. I also have a lot of water nearby, you know, for balance. Carlton, what are you drinking? Hi, uh, this is John, a.k.a. Carlton, and I am still on my sparkling water kick. And tonight we have the Sunny Sparkling Blood Orange. Ooh. Spooky blood orange because it's Halloween. Oh also, I love blood orange flavor. Spooky. It basically tastes like uh, not super sweet orange soda. Oh, which that's is cool. Good. Yeah. yeah. So it's very tasty. Awesome. I also have glow in the dark dice. You, you also have what? Glow in the dark dice. Does that mean you're going to be turning off your lights ah. and rolling in the dark during today's game? No, don't worry. I have a, I have a black light so you can see it. The, oh. the thing is, it's like, the, since this is a podcast, if we go dark... It really doesn't affect anything. Observe. But it's part of the new Chessex Lab series, so it's their limited edition dice. Oh. I've kind of turned into a dice goblin. <laughs> I so wish I had... Well, now the video is getting released of, of this moment right here. <laughs> that, yeah, right. That's Why a screenshot right there. Why like that? I don't know, but he's going to be doing that all game now just because just because Carlton is glowing the dark dice. <laughs> Carlton's lights aren't out. Oh, sure. Yeah, let me fix that. All right, well, he turns off his lights. Jonathan, what are you drinking? Greetings! This is Jonathan the Magimuscular. <laughs> this really doesn't have an effect unless you can see, because I'm being backlit from my screen, and so it's kind of spooky. Uh, it's October, so yay, it's spooky. And, there you go. Uh, today I have a, uh, a Cuban Missile Crisis, cola and vodka, and uh, it is quite delicious, and I've already had some. And for today's shot of fireball, to be consumed at the first casting of fireball or the equivalent spell thereof, I'm kicking it off to Jack Ethel. Good people of Faerun. Jonathan's uh, fireball shot is going out to AEW wrestler Brandon Cutler, avid D&D fan who got into a recent kerfuffle online with, uh, with MJF. And while he did not win his AEW match, I will be seeing him in a couple of weeks at the AEW uh, Dynamite show in Philadelphia. So Brandon... If I see you, I'm going to make a sign for you because you are, you're a natural 20 in my heart. Aww. Well done. Can you like, can you make a sign that's like nat 20 to, I don't know any wrestling. Uh, nat 20, nat 20 to check. do a wrestling thing. Raffle check. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> nat 20, that would be my sign. <laughs> Charisma saving throw or something like that. Who knows? Well, now that we've gotten Jonathan's fireball shot from Jack, then Travancore, what are you drinking? Hello again, good people of Faerun. Travancore's choice this evening is something uh, that my wife invented. I'm calling it Hugo Bluth because there are four types of juice in here. So at the bottom, you got some mango. Then as we move up, we got the orange. And then if you go a little bit further up, you have 
white grape, and then finally apple, because Travancore. And then the color comes from a splash of yet last week's uh, red wine sangria. And the live tasting, I've been waiting for quite a while to t- try this, and hopefully it's not too, too sweet. Wow. That is that is super duper sweet. And that is, uh, that's quite refreshing, actually. I, I rather enjoy oh, it. All the-, all the juices come together very well. I'll be interested because it's striated pretty nicely. I'll be interested as you get deeper into it, how it changes. If it gets sweeter or if the flavor changes, you'll have to give us updates as the episode goes on. And now we just can't see Carlton anymore. He's just gone. (laughs) Bernie. Halloween. What are you drinking? Um, I also was like spookiness. um, And I went to the LCBO yesterday uh, to get some pumpkin ale it's from lake of bays which i thought was hilarious spelled b-a-y-s not b-e but brewing company which is in bayville ontario baysville ontario and it's their pumpkin ale and it's just got like i've I've already kind of posted it uh it's like a cute little crow and i've got my spooky cup i might pour it into oh yes oh yes that's quite delightful oh good it's got a really nice kind of aftertaste it's a celebrate sweater weather with this refreshing malt forward ale and it is malty sorry so. you're celebrating sweater weather sweater yeah, no, weather I'm celebrating sweater weather because it's chilly up here for reals um and yeah it has got like it's really nice and kind of malty flavored i really like it good well now that we can hmm. see each other again should my light be off too is that is this let me but- see if i can make it spoopy oh <laughs> i may or may not have had my wife come into the room to turn on my light for me <laughs> See, I'm also backlit because I don't feel like because I, I usually use my my window for when I'm streaming. But of course, it is dark now, and so I need the backlit in order for you to see me. And I could turn this off, and I'd be super backlit. But nah, I don't feel like getting up. I'm lazy. I mean, I was <laughs> backlighting myself with a black light because glow in the dark, clicky clacks. Well, but let's let's go back to the world of of D and D, shall we? Uh, with me being able to kind of see most of you, you are. As my recap recapped, still in Waterdeep. I believe you're actually on the way right now to the Amethyst Acropolis in order to deliver the mandolin that Bernie has been carrying around for a little while. Has it actually been retrieved from the pocket house? Yes. yes. There was yes. the whole thing where we went into the basement and... Um, we chatted with the Modrons. You're right. You're right. I have been thinking about other things, and I was just like, I don't remember if they got that. Yeah, okay, so I've been thinking all week about sign language. I've been thinking about it quite a bit, too. I know you, you'd mentioned it, and it ended up on Twitter. We got some pretty interesting replies. And as you all know, and I think Jack actually pointed this out, the thieves can't in my game is sign language. It is, it's actually in my head based on the Drasnian secret language that is in David Edding's books. So it's all like finger swizzles and things. But yeah, so this would be, you could either go for that language if you wanted, because it is a full language. Uh, it would just be thieves can't. Or if we, I am positive that there are actual like other versions of sign language the same way that there are in the real world. Well, there's there's a drow high a drow sign language in yeah. three point five. There was yeah. So I think I've been thinking about it based on like what people said and some interesting research that was talking about the comparisons of like English speaking sign language is have very little to do with the English language because they're very much like culturally based and based in the place they grew from. So I was thinking that a common would be, I assume, based kind of like 
I don't know what the com- is the common is common generally considered like Esperanza or whatever it is, where it's like a mix of several languages, or is it like its own language that you just also learn that somebody maybe at one point in time spoke some kind of conquering force, and then it just became this thing. Was there ever anybody clarifying that? In D&D lore, I don't know if there's a specific explanation for common. Is it like the diplomatic language that just became I, like... I think mm. it's... I don't know that there's much lore on it. Uh, at least not that I know. Like, I think it might just be one of those, like, gameplay mechanic conceits. Like, just everyone yeah. speaks common. And it's like... Right. Then then you start getting weird, like, you know, other languages or you there are, yeah. like, dead languages yeah. and... Uh, languages that are a lot more obscure, but I think I, I don't know how much thought went into it. At least from my knowledge of the lore, yeah, it's more like it was just a hey, so everyone can talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. my yeah. understanding is is it's a mechanical thing. Like for us, common is English, but for somebody playing in France, common it's is French. French. Well, yeah. I was thinking about it from a couple points of view, and I wonder. It's like so there was an effort a while back to make what we would consider a common, which is just like a language that everyone could learn that doesn't belong to anybody. And and, and essentially it's, it's very Western because it is a language that is an amalgamation of like Spanish and some other. So it's, it's definitely Western conceived. So it's not necessary. And it's probably, it's, you know, not the language majority of people would speak and it wouldn't be easy for people who didn't grow up speaking romance languages to learn. I mean, French isn't easy for anybody that's not French, but whatever. <laughs> but yeah, if you if you don't have those same roots, then anything that's going to come from that is going to be difficult. But I always like, and I was thinking about it this way, because the thing is, the way common is, is everybody speaks common. And things like, and, and more and more and more kids are learning like English in schools. But if you took it back, not even very far back, the diplomatic language of the world was French. And again, that's a very Western colonialist thing that happened to us. So the question that kind of popped into my head was, okay, is common something that's actually more like a pidgin language, right? Like would common have been a language that there was a diplomatic language and common is a trade language that is a pigeon of whatever D&D groups like, like I imagine Dwarvish would have an influence on common since they are people who are makers and they are off, often dealing in trade. Like whoever is dealing the most in trade, who races that are more isolated that don't want to interact would not have as much linguistic influence unless they had a resource or a thing that invited people to create or they were forced together by war or conquest all these things and i wonder if maybe you would look at a, at a common sign language like every every culture in D, every race would have children who were born deaf or become deaf and who need to communicate and they would all have their own sign languages that come up out of that and i wonder if common sign language would be a language that began as like a pigeon language that became its own thing kind of like how Métis is actually incredibly, the the Métis language, which I'm like blanking on, I'm very sorry. The name for their language is sort of an amalgamation and it is recognized by like anthropologists and it really doesn't matter who recognizes it because it's their fucking language. But it is a modern language that like, and a group of people who birthed it out of the indigenous languages that the indigenous people spoke, plus French, and I think there might even be English influences, 
And I wonder if common is kind of more like that. And Métis is like a perfect trade language. It comes out of the voyagers. And so I like, I was kind of like, I don't think common is a diplomatic language. I think there was probably like, like high elvish was probably a diplomatic language because you were so cultured. Kind of like Romans who were senators didn't speak Latin because that's what all the poor people spoke. So they spoke Greek. So it's like, like, you know, so I'm wondering if it's like, you would look at common sign language like that, which is like, it is a sign language that grew out of like communication and necessity. So like, we all might be better at some parts of the common grammar. Like I imagine Bernie would actually be pretty shit at it because I don't think that gnomes like would probably have as much, I think gnomish communities are a little more isolated. I don't think gnomes have as much input on it maybe as humans did. Maybe, I was just going to say that there's a thing that happens when you have a common enough language. Like, look at India, for instance. Like, you have a different language every state, but the two major, like, uh, link, like sort of national languages are Hindi and English. But what ends up happening is when you have someone who grows up in an area where they have to communicate with a bunch of people, like like in a city, for instance, like Bombay or, or Madras or whatever, they end up raising their kids speaking that language. So they're probably yeah. native common speakers now in, like, oh, cities yeah. and major areas, I would imagine... Yeah, I think cities are probably mostly common, and then it's whatever you... Well, like, also, I wonder if there's, like... So, I don't know if this happens in India, but I have friends who are true bilinguals. Mm-hmm. Bi or tri, or multi. Their parents, one of... Like, their French-speaking parent speaks English, and their English-speaking parent speaks French, because it is the... The second language. Accepted way of communicating where you will speak to the person in the language they will understand. I also like the idea of because at least the the westernized idea of of Faerun and D&D is so there's a lot of tribal stuff that's happened there's a lot of groups that are not in cities that are in tribes or clans or encampments and a lot of them are ambulatory in multiple ways and so i also kind of wonder if common came out of those communities of like all right we're traveling around we have you know it's it's a trade thing but it's also we're going to encounter three or four different other clans on our route through this uh area and so it behooves us to be able to talk with each other and so i wonder if it's it's a bit of both so what we do is we tag chris perkins when this episode airs and we say listen to the episode and answer our questions about comedy. yes chris perkins i need you person. and also jeremy crawford as well <laughs> because crawford i want to see that happen chris perkins i won't fight you i just need you to come up with at least according to to my online research, 128 variations of fantasy sign language. <laughs> <laughs> or they can say, what I'm about to say is, we just make it up for ourselves. So I, I like, but I like this idea of a trade language and that's where it came from. Yeah. I've also heard some people talking about that it was like the gods came up with it. Because when you live in a world in where there is obviously multiple gods, and especially in my version of uh, D&D where... All the gods have decided to kind of remove themselves from actually being hardcore a part of Faerun because they'll just get into a war and destroy each other. They still need a way to communicate. And so common is the language that the gods came up with, essentially is a a trade and peaceful language. And then they passed it down to their people to be like, here's how you communicate with the other people on this on in this world so that you don't go to war with each other. And because everybody sucks there still are wars See, including with I the gods like the idea that that's the story people tell that common has been around long enough that there's a mythos to it 
mm-hmm. where people like because that what that's what myth does. Myth, uh, what is my friends called like the three E's? Myth entertains, myth explains, and I'm forgetting another one, but. I like the idea that, like, common's been around a long time. The gods didn't give us common. They might speak common and they might never. But, like, the idea is, like, the gods gave us this common language to promote peace. And I like, like the idea of also some hoity-toity uh, cultures believing that they came up with common. Being oh, like, yeah. Nope, that's ours. <laughs> and what a refreshing mythos to have gods that facilitate communication rather than hinder it over towers. Right? Well, there you go. Even if Even if it doesn't always work out for the best, you know. Anyway, this is an interesting conversation Sorry. we've all had while walking <laughs> to Bernie's like, Amethyst Acropolis. No, th- I thought this was great. Where do you think common comes from, guys? When I was little in school, they taught us this, but I think it was a lie. I don't know. And Jonathan espouses one of the other theories, like probably like maybe the common came from the dragons and not necessarily the gods. And It's not unusual to build a story around a language or a culture that it just so happens to serve the status quo. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. No, I know. I feel that. And Carlton says, let's consult the people who put in the laws of the universe. And at that point, you enter the Amethyst Acropolis and Razo Riverhopper is sitting there, as he most of the time is. And he answers that with, well, that's, that's not me. I, I don't know why you're here for that. I, I basically do paperwork here but i appreciate the idea that you think that i make laws for the entire universe that's that's probably bigger than my ego really needs right no we were talking about who created language oh i totally thought that that was the primordials who'd come up with that they banged rocks together until language came out um interesting theory but wrong interesting theory (laughs) and we should test that phonemes and monemes and all those things that I can't remember from school. Um, no, we're here to... We're we're here to give you Winslow. I'm sorry, who's Winslow? Oh, yes, uh, no, I was told that you were gonna be coming by! Okay, no, you can, you can go on up, uh, uh, the, the, Balana Zadok is waiting for you, she, she said that you would be on by to deliver the, this instrument. Did you lose a friend named Winslow? Are you okay? No, his name is Winslow. The instrument? Yes. Okay. Now he's gonna sit here. He's not gonna have any adventures or any friends. Well, just because he's going to stay here doesn't mean he won't have friends. I mean, I stay here and I have friends. Do you, though? And that is also something we'll talk to the gods about. Uh, And Bernie's gonna go upstairs. (laughs) you all walk through he kind of gives you weird wistful looks as you teleport on up and yeah as you get wait to- they don't have stairs here no you we're wizards go- <laughs> yeah have they- i missed that like the whole time it's like a duck dodgers uh disintegrator and reintegrator it's like <laughs> and then we end up <laughs> Yeah, there are stairs, but they're inside the tower. Whenever you enter through this entrance, the the main entrance, this is one of the ways that they protect the tower. Is you can only get to the tower through a teleportation circle, and once you're inside, there are some stairs to some other floors, but most most of it is just magic stuff. But you've been here enough now, and Jonathan, being a full member, is able to bring you on up to the 
central teleportation area. And there you, you're actually met by both Balana and Master Zick. They're both there chatting away. Uh, it's like late morning and it looks like they've just been taking care of some paperwork and stuff. And when they see you, Aras says, it's good to see you. I'm glad that you were able to take care of everything yesterday. And Balana speaks up and says, yes, yes. Hello. And she gives Bernie an expectant look, but refrains from, like, holding her hand out or anything. She's just giving you a, all right, shall we look? Bernie's going to unsling Winslow, and she's going to go, I guess this is goodbye, old pal. You've been a perfect friend. (laughs) (laughs) Some Lord, you don't get that? I totally get it. Okay. Bolana doesn't, though, and she's just giving you this look like, why are you singing in the middle of the Amethyst Acropolis? And then she goes, I hope that when we do, it isn't on a plate. And she's gonna, like, pluck Winslow one last time, which I hope disturbs Bolana a little bit. I assume she's like, this is a bad idea. Uh, the plucking and, or yeah, the, the singing? A little both. Go ahead and roll an insight check. Okay, good. Do I have good insight? I do, actually. I always can put insight under intelligence, probably because they both have start with the same letter. That's Ah. a 16. That's pretty good. With a 16, when you pluck the note on the instrument, it is, as always, a beautiful sound. This is a a lovely instrument. And the the bare walls of these chambers where the teleportation circles are echo in a very pleasing way. It's almost not cathedral-like, but it's got that same kind of of echo and reverb to it. But you can tell, while everybody else takes a moment to appreciate the sound, she is still a little distracted by the fact that you've broken into song for no discerning reason whatsoever. And the note actually breaks her out of whatever reverie she was in as she obviously regards you curiously. Or you pluck the note, and do you hand her the instrument? Yeah, she's going to say, don't let anyone attune to it. And she's going to hand her the instrument. She takes it and she says, well, that would defeat the purpose of playing it. I believe someone does have to attune to it or else it could cause harm. Yes, but I'm attuned to it. Well, shortly you won't be. <sighs> And there is a long moment as you stare at her and she stares at you. She doesn't look like she's not saying this to try to needle you. This is just for her a statement of fact. We'll be back. Don't let anyone get too attached. I cannot promise that, but I do hope you come back soon. And she takes the instrument, puts it in its case, and with a nod walks off and when she's out of earshot arrest says i know you were attached to that but i do promise that only the finest of bards will have access to that instrument but it is it will be played and enjoyed we, we definitely won't be just locking it away that would be a crime yeah i suppose i just you know music is one thing but you know magic is a completely different it's a shame and bernie's just gonna leave bernie turns around and heads back towards the teleportation circles uh yeah. looks at all you and says would someone buy her an instrument please we'll work on it how much for that one 
And I point to Winslow. <laughs> no, Winslow's gone. We'll work on it. Right, but I like point to where it went. <laughs> we are going to be heading out. Uh, we're heading to the teleportation circle in uh, in Mirabar. What tomorrow? You think, guys? Or yeah. tonight? Or tonight? Either I one's mean, fine. We've got all our stuff. I assumed we were just leaving after this. Okay. Yeah. It's mid out. It's like mid morning at this point. Like you'd slept yeah. already and taking care of a few things. So I mean, it's it's just kind of up to you. Would it be possible, Master Zik, to use this teleportation circle so I don't have to expend one of my diamonds getting out there? I'll say um, you were asked to stop at the Tempest Temple, and they were going to arrange things. Oh yeah, oh, so and we did uh, make an appointment, didn't we? We said three. We did. Yeah, yeah we so did. we can back that up. You would know not to ask that just okay. yet. While Lyra hasn't given you specific details, she has indicated that getting you to Miramar is half the the thing that she can do. Okay. Wank. Then, uh, Master Zick, I, if I learn anything uh, noteworthy, I will be in touch. Until then, we're out. And he just flexes. He flexes and then offers a fist to bone. And he now used to this behavior from you, <laughs> uh, gives you a fist bump back and says, be safe. And we go after, we go after Bernie. We mosey on out. Okay. You head on back out. And was there anything else you wanted to do before you head to the, the Tempest Temple? No, because we got all of our furs and cupcakes last episode. Yeah. This is true. So if Dave, the churro guy is there, we'll, we'll get some extra churros. But if not, we'll just head on through. Yes, I imagine we plan in time for churros. I mean, he's on the way. He's like right he's outside. He's on the way. Yeah, it's he like is. stopping at Starbucks on the way. Yeah. In. yeah. Yeah. It is our goal that there is a Dave's churro stand on every corner. Can I retcon it so that Travancore left a note at the uh, Golden Rock Tavern for uh, in case Olivia comes looking for him, just saying that he'll be out of town for a little bit? Yeah. Cool. You can do that. Uh, do you want it to just be left at the Golden Rock Tavern, or do you want it delivered to uh, Olivia Passerac? I uh, leave it at the Golden Rock Tavern. You don't have to bother her too much. She's a busy woman. All right, I'll be here. Also, she's got to come find you <laughs> to get this info. Take that how you will. Yes, you can stop by Dave the churro stand and pick up once again he is still out of chocolate sauce but he has fully restocked for churros and he does mention that he, he's trying to expand his churro empire but it's slow going during the winter months i don't know understandable these, these are a hot churro on a cold winter's day it's hard to beat that yes but getting to the stand is sometimes hard to convince people in the middle of the winter. Once they get here, they're always happy, but getting to the stand is a problem. If you have a hot beverage to dip the churros in, that might get more people out. People who need their, their morning caffeine fix for coffee. I got chocolate. Yeah, the chocolate. I know, I know. It's got I, a low melting point. I, oh, yes, but I gotta have the chocolate, and I gotta, there's, there's considerations. Uh, I like the coffee idea. I'll work on that. Now, Dave, we've got a brick-and-mortar tavern up in Amphil. Would you ever ex consider franchising out? I want to. I just don't have the capital. When we get back from Mirabar, I want to have a discussion with you about possibly buying into Dave's churro stand and opening up an Amphil location. All right. Uh, I'm certainly more than happy to offer you a franchise opportunity if you are looking to get out of the adventuring business and get into the, the churro stand business. I just like to diversify, you know, diversify my assets, you know, in case adventuring doesn't work out, I can still take care of the family with the churro stand. I mean, you never know the day you're going to take an arrow to the knee. 
you never know. And there's always money in the churro stand. There's always, there's money, always in the money in the churro stand. <laughs> yes, HOG Enterprises and you will be in touch. The great thing about D&D is that if you burn down the churro stand, you're not going to light the money on fire because it's coinage. No, but you could melt it because it is magical fire. <laughs> not necessarily. We don't have to use magical fire to burn down the churro stand for the yeah. insurance money. I mean, Dave, you heard nothing. Wait, what? If you burned it down with magical fire, that would create a clear trail easy to follow. Yeah. yeah. You gotta use mundane. Yeah, any public adjuster worth their salt would know that immediately. Exactly. Come on, Lauren. Please. Yeah. <laughs> How many churros did you want? As a Dave looks at you, you are all talking about burning down his churro stand. A uh, fistful of churros for me and a fistful for Travancore Jr. <laughs> and some for Travancore Sr. as well. You are able to pick up as many churros as you want. They are pittance. They are churros. Everybody throw in a silver and you can have more churros than you, than you could possibly eat in one day before they get cold. I will fill up the Everfresh box to capacity with churros. And Bernie will sigh, a big old sigh, once again. The Everfresh <clears throat> box is not that big. You can't actually fit that many churros in there, just so you know. They stay fresh longer, but... Well, I'll put as many as I can in there, and then the rest are just going straight in the bag of holding. Sure. Bag of holding. Now everything in the bag of holding is covered in cinnamon and sugar. So how, I thought every each piece has its own little pocket area. But that's you not would think holding. that, except every... That's fine. Uh, that's you how all... my, my brain worked. <laughs> Bernie's just like... Everything didn't... Like, when we put the swamp water in, everything wasn't soggy. Well... Not that you know of. We've oh turned God. it It's just like mold in there, isn't it? Everything in there has a fine Whoa. layer of mold. <laughs> Carlton's going to get like a hose to his mouth and like leave it out of the bag and then jump into the bag and go spelunking. <laughs> I was going to say the bag itself would be the perfect place to keep the churros. All you do is say churro and they come out intact. I'm not going to be smushed by anything in there. This is true. They will not get smushed. No. And you have this discussion as you make your way over to the temple. D20 Dames is a storytelling podcast powered by D&D. Every other week, a group of adventuring ladies explore a fantasy world, beheading or befriending monsters, and punching creeps. Ha <laughs> 19. Definitely hits. Yes! Our podcast is 100% written, produced, and played by women. Are you okay if I'm not actively looking for your siblings, but I'm still with you? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's just companionship. I mean, I'm not really expecting people to, like, delve into a dungeon for me or anything, but, uh... I would delve into a dungeon for you, Riot. And Rose? Yes? um, I was rather mistaken about you. Aw. You don't have to be monstrous to be extraordinary. Hear new episodes every other Tuesday. Subscribe to D20 Dames now on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. I wish you had told me, though, because then I could have given you a gift. Oh, it's a- oh, Carp, you know the only gift I want is your friendship. Misadventure awaits. We here at Dungeon Drunks are huge fans of Idle Champions of the Forgotten Realms. It's an official, free-to-play Dungeons & Dragons-based clicker game available on PC and Mac on Steam and Web, Xbox One, PlayStation 4, iPad, iPhone, and on all the Android devices. I usually have the game running in the background while I edit audio for the podcast, and it is so much fun to put together a formation that includes champions from the Companions of the Hall, High Rollers, C-Team, Force Grey, and more. 
It's always exciting to open chests to see what new gear my champions have. And speaking of chests, thanks to the fine folk who make idle champions, we're fortunate to be able to offer a free gold chest to all of our listeners. Now, this code expires on November 17th, 2019 at 8 p.m. Pacific, so you only have a week to redeem it once this episode is posted. Open up the game, go to the shop, and type in this code. V-I-T-A-N-A-R-D-M-I-D-S. So use that code and let us know on Twitter or Instagram what goodies you got. And now, enough of the loot drops. Back to the show. You're a little early, but obviously you are led inside pretty quick. And uh, this time, when you arrive, Battle Guard of Tempest Lyra Mesa is there. And unlike yesterday, when you went to go chat with her and she seemed to be multi-triple tasking in several ways, uh, she is prepared for you. And her desk is cleared except for just a few pieces of paper. And she is ready to give you her full attention when you come in. In fact, she also has enough chairs for everybody. Although the room is still small enough that Shadow has to kind of be outside the room. She leaves the door open for him, though. Uh, Bernie hands her one churro wrapped nicely in a piece of wax paper. And she says, here you go. We stopped on the way. And then she leans in and goes, if Carlton offers you any churros, don't take them. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I have not had lunch yet and I could use the snack. She puts it to the side, seemingly intent on eating it later, maybe after you've left. And pulls at her stack of paper as you all sit down and says, so if you are all ready and prepared, I I see you've got fresh winter gear. I have information for you on what you need to do. And then we can get you transported to Mirabar. And I got a fistful of churros, so we're ready to go. Good. You will need the sustenance on your way to the Bastion. As a reminder, everything that you are about to see and all the information that I'm about to give you is under the strictest confidence. And if I wasn't very certain of how trustworthy you all were, there would be no way I would be telling you this. But it's still worth reminding you this is this is not information that you can share with anybody. Got it. Our lips are sealed. Good. So we do have a direct connection from here to Mirabar that we'll be using. This gets you to the relatively small temple to Tempest in Mirabar. It is mostly just a a room for the few that are devout in Mirabar and some secret chambers below in order to facilitate this transport to get people to the last bastion so even just seeing the teleportation circle is very private and you should not let anybody know that will also be the way that you will be able to return if need be once you get to mirabar and they'll be expecting you i've i've warned them so that when you arrive you won't be alone when you arrive Once you are escorted out, you need to go to the Golden Sword Inn. There you're going to speak to the innkeeper and you're going to tell her that you are visiting from Waterdeep and you want to see the Axe of Mirabar in action. She's going to 
tell you that that's a dangerous idea and it's best to find someone to show you around. And you'll tell her that you are interested in a guide for the Northern Wall. Going a little fast there, Lauren. Hold on, I can't can't keep up with writing it down. Unless you're going to say we can repeat what we're told as soon as we get there. But it sounds like a very specific set of things we have to ask, like code words. So I'm writing it down like a good player. Golden what? I got it also. Golden. Okay. Okay. Could you? I will also repeat as need be. The golden what? Jack, if you could put that into the chat, I'll make sure that it stays in the memory. Yeah, because I'm like sitting there, I'm like, all right, she's very specific about what she's telling us to do. That means it's going to be important. Yes. Because it's going to be the difference between getting where we want to go and getting a a plate full of dinner or getting the cops called on us. And I'll repeat whatever you need, but I'll I'll start from, so you're going to tell the innkeeper that you're visiting from Waterdeep and want to see the Axe of Mirabar in action. She's going to relay that that's a dangerous idea and that you should find someone to show you around. And you're going to reply that you want a guide for the Northern Wall. And then you'll want to stay the night. I've contacted Carr and she will be there probably tomorrow morning, most likely already having breakfast, and will know who you are by description. She's not there the next morning. Stay another day. She's just been held up. That sometimes happens. Does that all make sense? Yes. Good. Once you meet up with her, she'll give you further instructions on where you'll be going and what you'll need to do but this will at least verify that you are the people that we say you are that you are trustworthy to be led to the bastion of the last corruption and it'll be up to her from there do you have any questions no i think we're good right guys yeah yeah well we're gonna have to spend a small amount of time in mirror bar as they get everything together right like the guys and stuff like that well, you'll need to spend the night right. in order to confirm. Aside from the Golden Sword Inn, obviously that's a good place to go. What's one of the best inns and taverns to get a good meal? I'm honestly not familiar with most of Mirabar. You will have some time in the afternoon to explore the city. Yeah, if you'd I guess. Like. I- it's a trade town, and th- there are quite a few wealthy districts, so you could probably find something nice. I would. I would advise to keep a relatively low profile. It is a majority human and dwarf town, and so... Oh, great, I can speak dwarvish. And I just start busting out dwarvish. That's really great. That's, that's That will help, definitely. But my my suggestion is to stay close, and when you meet up with Carr, my understanding is that you will be being as inconspicuous as possible when leaving the city because of the direction you're going to be going in you're not going to want to cause any undue attention it's a car so you know that the name of this guide is carissa kinaburo all right carissa i try i have her yeah yeah she's just been calling her car but the full name of the the guide that you're meeting is carissa kinaburo were there any other questions no. No, I think that's it. Good. Okay. Well, if that is the case, then I will take you to the circle now. And she stands, and instead of going to the door that Shadow's kind of sitting in, she turns around and opens up one of the the 
basically it's the only piece of furniture in the room that shows that she also stays here. It's a, a wardrobe, opens it up, reaches into the back of the wardrobe. And while you don't see what she does, she obviously activates something because the wall to her left, almost silently, considering that it is a stone wall, pulls back from the room, revealing a set of stairs leading down below. And she says, well, uh, you all need to go first. There should be sconces on the wall giving you plenty of light to go down, and I will follow behind to close the door. Okay. Jonathan, I'm going to let you lead normally, because like normally I go first in case there's something that's going to hit us, but I don't think anything is going to hit us here. And you know the magic stuff's better than I do, so you go first. That is true. No problemo. We can go in, go in height order. There should be nothing dangerous down here. Just just a stairway. Okay. You know, that's the second most dangerous thing after a door. I believe you. It's But it's one of those things where sometimes you just need a little mage armor. All right. Do you yeah, head downstairs? we've been burned yes. in the past by basements. All right. You all head downstairs. Shadow does fit. It takes him an extra moment or two because he is being cautious about moving through this this woman's space. And it is Aww. a tight space. Yeah. Mm. He's like just around the desk and around all the chairs. And then the, the stairs themselves are wide and long and almost big enough as if you could take horses down. Like they're impressively large. And so once all of you get into the stairwell, it starts to curve around and spiral down. It is very large and comfortable to walk down, impeccably cleaned. And there are every five to 10 feet, a sconce, like she said, on the wall that has what looks like a magical flame inside of it to keep the, the stairs fairly well lit. You go down for a good four or five stories if if every turnaround seems to be one story until eventually you come out onto a platform that seems to be overlooking a lake it's an underground waterway that you can just barely see that there's water around you because the, the the magical lights that are nearby they don't go off into the distance but you can hear the lapping of waves and uh, who's last in this rotation? Who came down last? Bernie's always in the middle. I would probably bring up the rear. Okay. Then Carlton, um, as you head inside, Lyra follows, and you watch as she puts her hand against the wall that hasn't moved, against a specific uh, one of these steel bricks. They're not made of steel. They're just the color of steel. She puts her hand against it. And while you don't see her move or do or press anything, the part of the wall that had opened up moves back into place. And from this side, you can actually hear a little bit of grinding. Uh, whatever is moving this seems to be mechanical, not magical. Interesting. Yeah, That's I was stupid. too. I was like, hmm. Very interesting. A lot of people said, interesting. At the yeah, same we all time. Went, huh. So you all make the trip on down. You end up at this landing. There seems to be nothing but this large landing. There's not like a pier. There's not anything else. And when Lyra makes it behind you, she says, just one moment, please. And she walks to the opposite side of the this landing, the stone edifice that you're on, just a few feet above what looks like just some 
it's not clear water. Uh, you do smell a little bit of salt, so this does seem to be some some salt water, maybe from the from the ocean that's come on in, but doesn't seem to be anything raucous in the water or anything. But she walks to the other side of this pier and kneels down just on the edge of where the water is, and you hear her say some words under her breath. And a moment later, the space in front of her almost apparates out of thin air. It's a second one of these landing pads, of a very large round piece of stone that just just appears like it was there the whole time and maybe invisible, maybe brought from a different plane of existence, maybe something else, you don't know. But as it appears, you all notice the carving into the stonework that is very clearly a teleportation circle. And she stands back up very fluidly in her plate armor. She's in her full plate regalia. And those of you who are more familiar with armor than others are kind of impressed by how very easily she stands without the use of handholds or a weapon or anything, considering she is wearing a full set of plate. Turns to you and says, I get the sense that you are familiar with how to use this, so I don't think I need to give any instructions, but I, if I am wrong, please let me know. Jonathan the Magimuscular is going to be uh, just sort of look and study the, the runes of the circle and try and commit it to memory. Okay. It is circle to a place you are unfamiliar with, but yes. It looks like it is one of those that only go to one specific location, and considering what she said... You can assume where it's going, but you can't commit it to memory. Okay. So you know how to use this, correct? He does. Yeah, he he knows. He does the thing. And she's like nudging Jonathan because he's being very weirdly quiet. No, he's just, and he's like, he's doing, he's like looking over the circle and just like, oh, yes. And then this, oh my, yes. There's no harm in telling us something that we may already know. That way there's no ambiguity. And John, there, Jonathan, there's no no shame in admitting that you don't know. Yeah. It's okay, bud. It's okay if you don't know what you're doing. Jonathan the Magimuscular pulls well. Does now if it's a circle to circle, he doesn't need the diamond, right? No. In fact, um, as you get close, as you're studying it, it begins to light up. Uh, you think this is like when you activate the teleportation circle that takes you to the pocket house. It activates on entry, and so no, because it is a permanent site to site. She's not asking you how to activate it. You get the sense she's asking, you've all taken a teleportation circle and just basically know how to do this, right? Oh, oh yeah. 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 And Jonathan the Magic Muscular, like, as he gets lost and he finishes memorizing the circle, he he puts his hand on it and and he's going to go through. You do need to like walk onto it. If you just if you're outside of it and put your hand on it, nothing will oh, happen. Oh, okay. I see. It's not. It's on the ground. It's not like a stargate. No, no. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's carved Wait, into the can rock. Can it be a stargate? A, yeah, but it's not. But it can be. Ugh. I can make that happen too. Stargates were on sometimes on their side. Those were weird. Uh, all right. It wouldn't. It, yeah, it wouldn't be like a full-on Stargate. It would it'd be like in a wall, and it'd be really weird because you would then... It would depend on orientation, but yeah, sure. This one specifically is floor. Jonathan the Muscular steps onto it, and it's like, all right, guys, let's go. Travancore Mosey's on there, along with Shadow. 
Yeah, come on, Coco Snoot. This is gonna be... Can we retcon that Bernie bought, like, snow booties for Coco Snoot? Because he's not a... He's a... That is the most adorable. Well, snow booties I... and a full-on snow coat because yeah. he is a mastiff, so he's a short hair. So yeah, that would totally make sense. He's not bred for that kind of... Sorry, I'm just being fiddly. Uh, he's not bred for that kind of climate... And, like, I I know that there have been days here where people have been like, your dog's not made for the snow, don't take it outside. Yeah, in the magical world of Faerun, your battle mastiff is a little more hardy and able to handle the extreme temperatures. But yes, it's a good idea for him to have winter accoutrement, and you have thought of that, absolutely. All right, you all step onto the teleportation circle and feel the familiar whoomp as you all are pretty instantly in this case transported somewhere else although the only indication that you have that anything has changed is as you step off of it in that moment of arrival you are now facing in the opposite direction and instead of lyra standing in front of you there is a gentleman in plain looking robes although you can all tell that he's wearing some sort of armor underneath kind of a a very plain looking human he's got scruffy blonde hair and a kind of a longish older face with a couple of fairly impressive scars and other than him the place that you'd arrive looks exactly the same as where you left the two different circles of stone, the lapping water around you, and the stone stairway leading back up. And the gentleman, as you all arrive, says, Hello, I am here to escort you out in the safest way possible. Sounds good to us. Hello. Hi. Hi. I'm Carlton. I, I, I know who you are. Uh, for safety's sake, let us not introduce ourselves. And if you need to use this place to return, I, I will recognize you or we will get more instructions. You may refer to me then as Mr. Fire. Uh, you don't have to do that. I thought uh, we Mr. Were, Fire. I thought I had said no names that I would I'm prefer. I'm Mr. Fire. Yeah, I'm going to try to forget that now. Thank you. Please follow me. And he turns around like stiffly, like this is not going the way that it's supposed to go. And starts <laughs> yeah. to. Uh, I did not expect this adventure, adventure to have manners. Jonathan the Magimuscular of Nerd is Travancore. He's like, you're you're Mr. Green. No. You're I'm Mr. Not. Red. No. And. <laughs> And Trevor shoots a look at Jonathan and is like, dude, don't blow this. Mr. Brown. We need, we need bandit names, we apparently. Can have them after. We can't have real names, after. so we have bandit names. Why do you have to be bandit Why names? You're not bandit doing anything bandit y. <laughs> yeah, we're, it's a covert operation. It's bandit y a little. That's not bandits, though. That's more like, that's just being covert. <laughs> you don't have to be ba- bandits, implies illegality, and this isn't illegal. Bandit names. I'm sorry, I should be saying this all in character. This is just... Uh, do you follow this gentleman up the yes. stairs? Oh, yes. yes. Most okay. definitely. Yeah, it is a eerily familiar set of stairs. Honestly, if it wasn't for the change in person, you would swear this is still the same location, that you're still under the, the Tempest Temple in Waterdeep. But as you reach the top, the door that he opens, uh, he puts his hand on the wall in a similar position to what Lyra had, opens the wall, and where you enter seems to be a coat closet. 
You actually have to push through a couple of bits of winter clothing. He holds some of it to the side for you as you all find your way out through the door. Uh, He has to actually pick up a couple of things and move them out of the way for Shadow because Shadow has to lumber on through. And as you get out of this coat closet, you find yourself in the what looks like the back room of a temple. You can actually see two exits that are open that lead to a, a tiny little building proper uh, you can see just from your vantage point a few pews. And the gentleman says, your contact will know how to contact me if you need to come back this way. You should just be able to walk out of here without anyone noticing, but I would prefer if you don't call attention to yourself. Got and it. He kind of very pointedly gives Jonathan a look. <laughs> Jonathan the Magimuscular, like, shrugs, but he also flexes when he does that. He's like, uh... It's like muscly shrug emoji. And he indicates the two doors like after you. Okay. All right. And we walk on through as nonchalantly as possible. I don't think we need pass without trace for this as long as we're nonchalant. Yeah, like Carlton like goes from his normal stance to like a cool guy, just like nonchalant yeah. kind of no, walking. Like, doo, no doo, whistling. Doo. We're just gonna, gonna head on out. It's gonna do it. You all, quote unquote, nonchalantly walk out into what is the obviously the main temple. And unlike the giant castle that is the the temple to Tempest in Waterdeep, this is, as Lyra explained, much more humble. It is literally one medium sized room, couple of pews, a very clean and simple altar with some of the the tempest iconography on it and it is empty you can see a couple of windows not stained glass just really nice what you notice as you walk by double paned windows and it is snowing outside in mirror bar and you can see the big thick flakes falling through those the glass in the windows and as you walk down the pews and get to the far door the giant oak door is actually a little bit of a push to open not just because it itself is so thick but it opens outward and there is a good two feet of fluffy white powder on the ground that you have to push past and you enter the street of what looks like a major city that is blanketed in white snow. It is a little later in the afternoon than you were in Waterdeep, and the sun is just starting to set, and you you think that you still, Jonathan knows that you still have probably about an hour, hour and a half before the sun actually sets, but the first thing you notice is that it is already getting dark enough in the city because there are some of the tallest walls you have ever seen, even Waterdeep's defenses pale in comparison to the size of the the defensive fortifications and the sun has actually gone down behind those fortifications long before it sets on the horizon there's plenty of people wandering about you notice most of them seem to be humans or dwarves that seems to be probably the vast majority of people at least around you and you seem to be in a a nicer part of town. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever been to Mirabar, but uh, have any of you? I don't nope. think so. No, I don't think we. I, I think no. the 
The farthest north that uh, JMM has been has been his uh, schooling in Neverwinter. And Mirabar isn't that much further north, uh, relatively. It's just further inland and much closer to the mountains. And uh, while none of you have been here, it does look like a well-appointed city. The, the streets are all very under the several feet of snow, nicely paved. You can see actually pathways in the snow that people have kind of dug through or walked through. And it is bitterly cold. The extra winter gear that you have all procured help a lot, but any piece of exposed skin immediately feels that that tingly, almost a sting that comes with a sub-zero temperature. And it is both hauntingly beautiful and also a little depressing because everything is either gray stone or white snow. Is there about a seven-foot patch of undisturbed snow on the ground? No, don't do it, Carlton. A seven-foot patch? Yeah, about like seven feet long. That's like not been trampled over. That's still unfettered. Uh, roll a perception check. All right, so that's going to be a 21. You don't see anything that large that's uncovered in snow. Everything at least has No, a- I mean like a- Patch of snow that has not been trampled on. That's still a clean patch of snow. He wants That's... a clean patch of snow that he can probably... snow angel. In. Yeah, snow Carlton. Yes, I want to make a snow Carlton. He wants to make a snow Carlton. Sadly, in the middle of what looks like a very populous area, seven feet. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't. Right, uh, I can't I'll justify. Find, it. I'll you find would... torso up, and then I'll plop, and I'll go ha, and I'll just. Kind of wave my arms up and down and make a snow Carlton. He does that. He's able to find like a a three foot patch, something like close enough to the temple that you've just exited and does that. And uh, from behind the rest of you, you hear a voice say, tourists. And you turn around to see a dwarf kind of scowling at Carlton. And then he moves on. What would you like to do? Excuse me. And Bernie's going to call after the dwarf. The dwarf stops and turns around and gives you kind of, you know, the look New Yorkers give you and they know that they're dealing with tourists and they're trying to be nice, but they really don't want to. He gives you that look. Um, do you know where the Golden Sword Inn is? Nah, no, but... How can pro- you not know? You're not a tourist. You're a local, right? I mean, it would be a shame to call yourself a local and not know something about your own hometown. Yeah, I, I know where I need to be. I don't need to know where an inn is, because I live here. And with that, he turns around and walks away. Yes, but what if you wanted to go out to down? Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I no. say bye to him in Dwarvish. Bye, friend. He just walks. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't remember getting directions on which way it is. I mean, you can ask around. My gut tells me to turn left from where the temple is. I don't know why. I think it's to the left of the temple. I don't know, know why I feel that way. But, uh, I mean, I can do a perception check to see which way it looks like it's more civilized. There's, like, all city everywhere. Sure, give me a give me a perception check. Sure. Do-do-do. Thirteen. It's pretty clear from where you are that you seem to be in the middle of the city, actually. You can tell where the mountains are, so you have a sense of directionality. But this... This seems to be a city uh, at least 
on the scale of Waterdeep as far as size. You don't know about population, but you can see a little bit more of it because you're in the mountains, so it's a little bit more hilly in the city. So you can actually see more of it from the inside than you can from the outside. But you, it's really hard to tell. I will say with that role, you can tell that unlike Waterdeep, which has very clear districts, and some of them are very clearly defined as what is in that district, this seems to be a much more homogenous city. Hmm. Well, Travel Group's not follow his gut at this point. Him and Shadow are just going to start walking and turn left, and then with the idea that sooner or later they'll run into somebody who might have information about where this bar is. If worst case scenario, there's another way, he, he, he's not going to more than a block, city block or two, he figures. Lauren, is your phone nearby? Yes, but we're literally about to stop. Oh, because I texted you what I want to do. All right. Make a <laughs> make an attack, a ranged attack. Oh no! <sighs> uh, so that'll be. I hate this cloak and dagger malarkey. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> no! I rolled a natural twenty. Uh, so it's a twenty-three with my dexterity modifier because I'm assuming I'm not proficient in this. No, you're not, prof- but you actually you are because you are proficient in. Oh yeah, improvised weapons. Improvised so, weapons. So, so who are you hitting? Twenty-seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If Bernie gets decapitated with your snowball. He's gonna come back from the dead and kill you. <laughs> no, Travancore. Uh, God, so why? Why? <laughs> Carlton, go ahead and roll. Um, your unarmed strike damage. Wait, what? The fuck did I? I grabbed a cor- <laughs> no, Carlton tried to hit me with a snowball and rolled a natural twenty. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody take a drink. So that I'm a D six for unarmed. Uh, I rolled a three on the die, so that'll be a six with my dex modifier. Travancore, you yeah. are nailed in the back of the head <laughs> by a snowball. <laughs> That shouldn't hurt, except Carlton, in his glee, uh, has take. You know how when you take really fluffy snow and you take a giant handful of it and you crunch it on down, and then it's basically a ball of ice. Carlton nails you in the back of the head with a ball of ice. All right, you take um, six points of damage. John, actual human, is going to die laughing in penance for what he's done. Oh my! Wow. Alright, so... I can't believe I rolled a natural 20 on throwing his goddamn snowball. I'm so excited for when we get into combat and none of us can roll. Current health is at 87. Travancore just keeps walking and just sort of puts the finger in the direction of Carlton as he walks. And just for good measure, Carlton, as so you start to laugh and everybody gives you this look and you start to follow Travancore and Shadow and you're right behind them as you see Travancore flipping you the the Faerunian bird and Shadow noticing the ire and what has happened pees and poops right in front of you so that you have to <laughs> dodge out of the way as you go stumbling through the streets in Mirabar. None of you uh, the camera pans back from this scene as you all are wandering away from the temple, trying to find where you need to be, hitting each other with snowballs, getting peed and pooped on, back towards uh, two other figures who, as the camera pans back them, both shake their head and like, tourists. And with that, we'll pause there. <laughs> Next time we get together, you're in Mirabar and you need to find an inn and you need to get on your <laughs> way to... The spine of the world. But for now, let me give you some experience. 
for finally returning the instrument to the chagrin and the this the wonderful bardic moment of bernie but still completing that and handing over the instrument for more about dave and his churro stand than i ever expected for a wonderful discussion about common and where it came from and i am serious that i i like the backstory that we've all come up with and i'll do a little bit of research and see whether i'm wrong but i i kind of like what what all of you have come up with for where common came from i'm gonna give you a total of 5200 experience to split between the four of you and next time we get together you'll be looking for the golden sword inn in mirabar thanks for listening to our adventure if you've enjoyed our show, visit us at DungeonDrunks.com for links to all of our social media, pictures and bio of our cast, a full list of credits, and more. We'd appreciate it if you left us a review, and we would love it if you come support us on Patreon. Visit Patreon.com slash DungeonDrunks to sign up. Thanks again, and we'll see you next encounter. We appreciate all of our patrons, and extend a special thanks to our Artifact and Wondrous Tier patrons. Thank you Megan, Christopher Waterston, Linnea Boyev, Lori, aka Calamity Jane, Sir Narvi and Sailor Tweak, and Hunted Shadows, LLC.